Well, good morning and welcome to uh, a very early edition of the Kevin Prendeville Show. Hope you had a great week. Uh, I'm excited. It's Friday, the Friday before Memorial Day. Always a great holiday to celebrate and to remind ourselves, of course, that freedom isn't free. Even if we're living in an age where it seems that our governors have forgotten that fact, we understand the sacrifices that so many are making and have made and will continue to make for the idea and the promise of the American experiment. And it is so very important to understand that. And as we talk about different financial and monetary topics today, I do want to spend some time in thanking those who fight for the Constitution, fight for the laws and the ideas that we uphold and that we cherish and value in this country. Because no matter the reason behind someone initially joining the military, that commitment in and of itself is not one to be taken lightly. It is one that can take out a lot out of somebody, but also can help one grow and change and become someone that others can look up to and be inspired by. And it's fantastic to, to see the growth that some of my peers who have joined the military uh, who have achieved. And the U.S. military has always been a force for liberation. It's something we should and can all be proud of. It doesn't have the it doesn't have the same past as, a, as some of the European armies. Certainly, the Germanic armies or the atrocities of the Spanish armies, for instance. We in the United States can hold up our military achievements proudly and say that. Even in defeat, we always fought for the ideas of liberty, freedom, and self-determination. We just have to be vigilant about doing that at home. And that's what I want to dedicate today's show to, and hopefully this weekend to, as we survive the rain that's coming, and hopefully survive the economic turmoil that's been caused by this unnecessary crisis. With that being said, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got mortgages and mortgage forbearance at an all-time high, and we've got news articles about uh, older people expecting to work into their retirement years, all things that I've consistently talked about. And now that we're in a down market, it seems as though those are coming to fruition. Keep it locked right here on The Kevin Prendeville Show. Well, thank you for sticking with us over the break. Uh, again, I understand it's hard to get some consistent consistency around here, especially with online content, um, and I do apologize for that. But once again, I was blindsided a bit by this crisis. Uh, I did not think that the government would take the actions that they did, and I did not expect them to have the lasting impacts that that occurred.
but here we are nonetheless and I promise you I will get you more content in the coming weeks and days and months as we try to rebuild and restart the economy. Now one of the first stories that I want to go over is uh, actually comes to us from Fox Business and it's all about missing mortgage payments and Americans. Um, uh, this is not something when it comes to um, forbearance, which is a, essentially a program, a built-in system in some mortgage contracts in which the bank will allow you to miss a mortgage payment, sometimes even, though it's rare, sometimes even um, two. It's not in there for everybody. If you have... Um, typically on a 15-year on a, on a shorter mortgage term, if you have bad credit, if you have basically, uh, there's a whole host of reasons why you may not have forbearance, but that doesn't mean you don't miss a payment in some cases. And uh, the very first line in the article is, millions of Americans missed their mortgage payment last month as new data shows as the U.S. delinquency rate has nearly doubled. And this is not good. This is horrible news. Um, I know and understand that some people uh, hate banks. Uh, you see, for instance, uh, Congresswoman uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saying that she loves to see the oil companies not doing so well. And I wrote an article about this, not about her, but about why oil companies got a bailout. And it's essentially... It has a lot to do with uh, leverage and the fact that a lot of the banks have loaned money to these institutions, in this case, um, oil companies. The banks loan out money to these companies where they go buy land and, and prospect for oil. And now that oil has become, it will become more uh, stable as the economy gets going again and people get out of their houses but for a time gas prices were through the floor and oil prices were through the floor because simply no one was using it simple uh supply and demand and so you saw oil prices crashing which meant that a lot of the smaller and newer oil companies that had sprouted up uh, under the original trump economy really had a hard time keeping up with the two-pronged effect of crashing oil prices, debt that they had taken out, which is not necessarily a bad move. I know a lot of people have, because of consumer debt and credit cards and the way that's taught nowadays, I know people have a bad conception of debt, but it's a little different when it's when you're running a business, especially one that can grow to the size of, of some of these oil companies. But the bank makes the original loan to these oil companies not with the intention of picking up the land. They don't want the land. They just want the loan, and they want your money. And so you see a lot of some of these oil companies unable to pay uh, some of their loans back, which may cause foreclosures and, and seizures of assets because uh, the bank is trying to make their money back. And larger oil companies who are hurt but who are going to survive – they're not buying, uh, not that they're not buying, but not in uh, large numbers. And 
And the reason for that is they have their own debt service. They have their own uh, contractions that they're going through, and they just can't acquire new companies or, or expand their their brand. So the bank's kind of stuck with land that may or may not have oil on it and are will be waiting for somebody to come along and, and buy it, which eventually that'll happen. But again, the bank doesn't want assets uh, other than currency and, and making money, essentially with money and Wall Street products. And it's a similar principle when it comes to mortgages. Look, the bank doesn't want your house. They'll happily loan you the money, but they want you to pay it back with interest. They don't want you to default because they don't want to have to sell your house. That's the, If they wanted to do that, they'd be realtors, right? So you see this delinquency take a, a huge spike, and it's understandable. People have lost their jobs, livelihoods, incomes. People can't pay their mortgages even though they were correctly vetted, even though the, the bank did their due diligence. Again, in the immortal words of George Bush, I think we all misunderestimated this crisis. And so now you have a situation in which the banks are going to be catching a lot of these homes as people uh, are forced to, to give them up because they either uh, are late on payments or the banks are going to be off on a schedule as people can afford to pay them, but maybe at a, uh, with renegotiated terms or, or penalties and late fees and whatever else comes with failure to pay a, a mortgage rate. And unfortunately, I don't think this is going to get much better. You see, in some states, they're trying to clamp down on landlords and make them out to be the bad guy in all this. But again, the landlord just wants you to pay rent. They don't want you to have no job and be broke and all that stuff. And the landlord has bills to pay too. So, and the reason I bring this up is I want to get you in mind that all of this has a chain reaction. So, you see this delinquency rate go uh, through the roof. As the article points out, it's um, even with people with forbearance agreements in place. It's up more than 85% than compared with the same time last year. That's a huge number. 85%. Nearly doubled the amount of people that are delinquent on a mortgage payment than this time last year. And so essentially the, the, the bank and what happens in some of these cases, now you don't have the same issue that you did in 2008 with the subprime markets where you had companies investing in these subprime mortgages that the banks were churning out and then you know a hitch happens in the economy or surprise, surprise, it's called subprime for a reason. These don't get paid and then it goes all the way back to actually affecting companies. But you still have a lot of these loans that unfortunately will go upside down, which were was unexpected. And 
the chain reaction of that is that it could affect, it could start affecting the banking system. It could affect how banks loan out. And if banks are not willing to loan out the same kind of money that they were, you could see it affect the corporate sector. And if it affects the corporate sector, then of course it affects what? Jobs. And if it affects jobs, then it comes back and feeds into people not being able to afford the payments. And it's just a, a really bad loop to be in. And this is why you'll see politicians hopefully start to wake up. I know in Tennessee we're starting to reopen, but again, I'll say it again and again, and I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it publicly. I've never said this publicly. I don't usually announce who I'm voting to uh, for. I think people can get that sense from listening to me and, and taking in what I'm saying, who my political proclivities are for, but Bill Lee's lost my vote. You know, he had it. The first time I, I came here to, to, to Tennessee and my first elections uh, for voting uh, for governor, I voted for him. You know, and I thought he was a good guy. And his ads were nice, you know. He didn't muckrake and he didn't sling anything at his opponents. And it was nice to see that on a bigger scale. But... You know, you have, unfortunately, he. I think he failed in the refugee issue earlier last year, middle of last year, end of last year. And he's just been all over the map when it comes to handling this crisis. And he hurt a lot of Tennesseans, people that he swore an oath to protect and help. He's hurt them for generations. And again, I say, he should open a Denny's because he is great at flip-flopping. He'd make the best pancakes. But he's lost my vote. Does that mean I'm going to vote Democrat? No, I'll probably just abstain. Or in the primary, I'll certainly vote against him if somebody would run against him. I got no problem doing that. But he's, I'm not voting for him. And if he wins and, you know, it's... If he wins over uh, someone on the left who is probably going to be some sort of uh, socialist uh, uh, gutter snipe, then you know I'm uh, then I'll be a little bit happier. But but I have been just absolutely displeased with his performance. Regardless, I don't think our political leaders realize the gravity of. Of the situation they're in. Again, we are in an age in which companies and the prevailing financial and in business sense is to leverage assets in order to, to acquire more. This isn't novel. This is about a hundred years coming, and you know you can read Jekyll Island and you can read books on on the Federal Reserve and and business sense and for about a hundred years now you know we don't save to to spend we leverage which means we use assets that we already have as collateral for loans to buy other assets and it's a much quicker way of expanding you can expand much more rapidly that way but now we're we're stuck in an issue too with when you combine Keynesian economics where we have this idea that the government should bail out corporations and companies and banks where you have this economic corporatism plus you have 
the these businesses leveraging themselves to the point where something as simple as mortgage forbearance I shouldn't put it that way. Something as simple as an increase in mortgage delinquencies and forbearance could cause a chain reaction in which the entire economy is is, is just rent asunder. You're going to see uh, stock prices drop, I'm sure. Um, that's another article that we'll get to after the break here. But I really want to hammer home how important this economic time that we're in right now is because it's been swept under the rug and everyone's so focused on just keeping people safe they're not understanding the damage they're doing to their financial lives and the repercussions of doing that so keep it locked to the kevin prendeville show we may not always be political but we are correct well the sun is just starting to peek over the clouds and we're getting ready for another hot day here before the rain comes in, and I hope you're uh, enjoying our little conversation this morning. It's going to be a great Friday um, just before Memorial Day. It's always a great day in these United States. But unfortunately, some of that is apparently not come to fruition for all of us. Uh, in Europe and other developing countries, Nissan is stated that they are planning on cutting 20,000 jobs uh, globally. Now, that probably won't affect us here in Tennessee. We do have in Williamson County uh, a, a Nissan uh, headquarters that's more corporate um, and a number of dealerships. Obviously, we got uh, the Titans have a great sponsorship with Nissan. They've named a truck series after the team. So I do, do not think this will be a local issue. But this is from uh, CNBC. And it essentially says that uh, Nissan here is, is considering cut, cutting 20,000 jobs from its global workforce. Um, again, uh, mainly focused in Europe. And the European response to the... Uh, COVID crisis has been uh, different in, in, in each country, similar in the sense that they've locked down their economies, but uh, different in the sense that um, they have allowed some, some more freedoms and in uh, immigration centers of major cities like Paris and Stockholm, Berlin, and other uh, major cities, they've really refused to enforce these lockdowns so they don't infringe on the immigrant community. Of course, you know, I think that's a bunch of baloney, but these people will, uh, these people will hurt officials if they try to enforce the lockdowns. But that's another topic for another day. Now, the reason Nissan is starting to pull out of Europe, it could have a little bit to do with, unfortunately, um, the losses that are impacting in Infinity. Now, this isn't something that uh, I've been following too closely. Again, I don't think car companies make great investments, and I don't think that we're going to see too many new car company brands, but we could see a consolidation. And one of the 
casualties of this is probably going to be Infinity. Now, Infinity is a division of Nissan. It's essentially their luxury brand without saying, I drive a Nissan. It's like um, Hyundai becoming Genesis or Lex uh, Toyota becoming Lexus, uh, Ford becoming Lincoln, all of that. Um, now, Infinity's pulled out of Australia and the Asian markets. They are pulling out, they've pulled out of Europe. They will probably be pulling out of North America um, maybe even before Mitsubishi and other Japanese uh, car companies that are on the lower end. And in Europe, it's a little different. Nissan is okay here in the United States. They're, they're great in Japan. But over in Europe, um, they haven't caught on at all. Uh, Japanese car companies are not doing nearly as well as you would think. In Europe, I mean, they build a great, reliable car, but Europeans have that uh, Germanic flair to a lot of their vehicles. They also have a Fiat has a much stronger presence, uh, Citroen in France, and of course the German companies, uh, BMW and uh, Mercedes, and uh, in England you've got Land Rover and you've got. Uh, of course, on the luxury side, you've got Bentleys and Rolls Royces. So you have uh, Europeans just have a lot more domestic options that a lot of them choose to to go with instead of your Japanese competitors. So as this article theorizes, um, the automaker said in July last year that it would it was going to cut twelve hundred employees. Anyways, I'm sorry, twelve thousand, not twelve hundred, and that would have been about 10% of the workforce they already have in Europe. And essentially, it's a similar number number to what they did in 2009 when they cut about 20,000 jobs from Europe. So doing this is most likely a response to the coronavirus. This specific round of cuts and layoffs. But it gives you a global idea and perspective on this crisis that while we are dealing with it here and it's just as bad here it's it's also impacting the world and it doesn't matter the size of the company so long as you have employees and a need for revenue your company is going to be affected heck states are even affected it doesn't matter what you do locking down the economy is not good for anyone and we see this problem seeping over now into the general public. You see, most U.S. workers uh, now intend to have a job during retirement. And this is a survey where 74% of Americans really envision themselves as working retirees and not the idyllic, you know, I'm only working because I want to kind of retirement where you're not doing it for the money, it's a passion project. Instead, it's because, well, frankly, financial plans have failed them. I don't know if you've seen this, but recently the Monte Carlo theory, which is essentially the guiding theory between uh, that decides how much you can distribute from your qualified plan, uh, recently slashed the rate from about 4% to 2.7%. Uh, it's the rate in which they say you should withdraw every year in retirement from your account um, 
so that you don't run out of money based on life expectancy and market conditions and all that. So can you imagine that? I mean, 2.7%. So if you had a million dollars in your account, which is a number that most people do not reach, if we're being honest, by the time they're 65, but if they do, that's $27,000 a year. That's a mite lower than they were probably used to while they were working, isn't it? And isn't that then some small admission that the plan probably failed? If you weren't able to enjoy the same benefits you, you enjoyed while you were working? And this problem is not limited just to coronavirus. This problem would have probably continued at a much slower rate, but it would have continued even if the coronavirus never happened. And I say this because with the national debt the way it is, it's it nearly guarantees that some of these programs, especially Social Security, which we discussed on Monday, is going to be broke by 2030. Uh, according to some reports, even say 2029, that it's going to be bankrupt, go under. Um, the government is not going to let that happen. And the only way in which they can raise revenues to make that not happen is to raise taxes. So most people, when they are in retirement, when they take money out of their accounts, it's a taxable event. This is because... When you defer taxes in something like a 401k or an IRA or most standard tax-qualified plans, you're not only delaying the tax calculation, but you're also delaying the tax that is still due on that dollar. And Uncle Sam intends to collect. But it's much more advantageous for them if you defer, say, a 22% tax to a 37% tax. I'm just going from about middle of the bracket to when you retire, you're probably at the highest point in the tax bracket. We've cut deductions, and most people, by the time they're retired, they want everything paid off, so you probably have no tax deductions, so you're feeling the full effective tax rate at that point. You've got your 2% free health care. I say, I say that's a joke, but... It's unfortunate, and it's going to force people to go to work, you know, for for years while they're in retirement. And that's not really a retirement. But that's the point we all want to reach, right? Where we work enough to where we can go create throughout our lifetimes. We're at a point now, too, for the younger student uh, kids with student debt the way it is, where... Unfortunately, they're going to be held back. And the reason they're going to be held back is because of the student debt crisis. Then you compound this with a national debt that's out of control. You compound this with economic factors that are not playing in their favor with this crisis that's going to set uh, kids who are in high school to college years now. I mean, this is not shaping up at, at all in terms of being successful financially for a lot of people. 
and yet we all seem to just whistle past the graveyard. We all seem to ignore a lot of the issues that are unfortunately going to plague us for generations. But all this whining and belly aching is, is useless if we don't come up with some solutions. Now, on the personal side, of course, that's what I do for a living is I help people not only identify these places where they are sending money away unknowingly and unnecessarily to all these different institutions that we talk about, but on a, on a macro scale, it's important too to become principled. To know what you're, to have enough education to where you can stand on principles and make decisions based off of those principles and not emotion. Because many of the policies that we enact that add to the national debt, that increase taxes, that in the long run hurt us, are based on emotion. We're presented with a sad story about big pharma and and so we vote in Obamacare or we hear a sad story about somebody not getting the right treatment and so we expand Medicare Medicaid and try to get Medicare for all we it always comes back to wanting safety so we expand the government but by instead making our decisions based on principle and this could be political and economic then it doesn't matter what things are going on around us or, or when somebody tries to convince us otherwise using emotion all of that fades away because we have the education behind what we're doing and that is going to be the key going forward and that is today's big takeaway well I hope you enjoyed today's Kevin Prendeville show I know this week has been sporadic uh, I have not kept up with my end of the bargain in entertaining and educating those of you out there who are loyal listeners, and I do appreciate you. And again, I, I do want to apologize, but I promise you to that I will be pumping out a lot more content. I'm going to be adding another show coming up here um, that will premiere within the coming weeks Um called American Empires or Nero Titans, where we are going to take a historical look at people who have been ultra successful and made great sums of wealth in both Europe and the United States and see what we can learn from their lives, lessons that we can take from their experiences and help us develop some of the principles that we talked about today.